Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Uh, The grace and the peace of our Lord be with you here this day. I want to invite you to turn with me, please, uh, in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. And as you're turning here in this room to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Uh, I want to welcome those who are worshiping in the Family Life Center, as well as our extended JCBC family, uh, worshiping online, uh, near and afar. We welcome you into this time of study. This is the second part in an ongoing study, a new series, an exciting series entitled, That Kind of Church. We're taking these several weeks to talk about what is it that makes JCBC, JCBC. What are all the characteristics, the the traits, the values, the convictions that have shaped who we are and who we are becoming uh, for who we are, when we are, where we are in this current place and time? And and it's been excited. Last week we started with a sermon about the foundation of this church. The one sure and certain foundation is the Lord Jesus, the Lord of life, the Christ of God. Today we continue in this series. Next week we begin with our seven core values. That's what the seven dots are on that little video you just watched, in case you're wondering. But today we talk about what it means to be Baptist. What do we mean when we say Johns Creek Baptist Church? Now listen, the last three Sundays... I know you've enjoyed it because my last three sermons have been the shortest three sermons in my life. And I've spoiled you rotten. So today I'm here to tell you I'm taking back borrowed time. This is a note-taking sermon and I want you to take some notes and you may have to go back and catch. We're going to dig deep. If you're ready to dig deep, somebody say amen. If you're ready to go for it, say bring it on. Okay, so from Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, we hear these words. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The reading of the sacred word. It's reliable and it can be trusted Will you pray with me? God, in this moment when we are open and gathered here, yielded before you, we pray that you would help us to fix our gaze upon you. We've come into this place with a variety of hopes and hurts. Your worshipers have gathered from so many different experiences that some have come ready to absorb your word and to be transformed by it. Some have come so weary that it was even a miracle that they arrived today. Our prayer is that you would relieve the burdens that keep us from seeing and hearing and sensing your nearness. Come, Holy Spirit, our hearts inspire 
and fill us with your holy fire. For if you are with us, then nothing else matters. But if you are not with us, then nothing else matters. We pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. So there was a man walking on a bridge. As he's walking along the edge of the bridge, he sees another guy on the bridge. He's on the other side of the rail. And he says, whoa, 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 friend, wait. Can we talk? The man stopped and said, yes. Do you believe in God? The man said, yes, yes, I do. I'm a Christian. Well, me too. Well, what kind of Christian are you? Are you you Catholic or Protestant? And the man said, well, I'm I'm Protestant. (laughs) Me too. Well, what kind of Protestant are you? Because there's a bunch, you know. uh, What kind of denomination? He said, well, I'm, I'm a Baptist. He said, me too. What what kind of Baptist? Uh, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? I'm I'm a a Northern Baptist. (laughs) Me too. What kind of Northern Baptist? Are you Northern Baptist conservative or Northern Baptist liberal? Uh, Northern Baptist conservative. (laughs) Me too. Are you Northern Baptist conservative Great Lakes region? Or Northern Baptist conservative uh, East Coast region? He said, I'm Northern Baptist Conservative Great Lakes Region. (laughs) Me too. Are you Northern Baptist Conservative Great Lakes Region uh, Confession of 1847? Or the Northern Baptist Conservative uh, Region, uh, Great Lakes Region Confession of 1912? I said, 1912. And he said, die, heretic. Thank you. If you stand for the benediction, we'll be dismissed. There are all kinds of Baptists. Now, Johns Creek Baptist Church is a part of what we call the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. We're asked that question all the time. What kind of Baptist are you? Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. And I could spend a whole series of sermons telling you why I am proud that JCBC is a part of that sister network of churches, uh, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. But for today, I want us to expand the conversation even larger, I want to talk about what does it even mean to be a Baptist? I mean, historically, what does it even mean? Now, it may be that you were a Baptist because you were born into a family that was a Baptist family. It might have been that you're the old saying, you know, you're, you're you know, Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when you die, you'll be Baptist dead. You know, that may be you. Or maybe that you joined a Baptist church because maybe when you were growing up, that was the church that had the programs in town for children or youth or maybe music or choir. But when it all comes down to it, there is one unifying reality about Baptists throughout time. Historically, what it means to be a Baptist can be boiled down to one word. One word. Freedom. Freedom. In his book, The Four Fragile Freedoms, Walter Sheridan talks about how the, the basic Baptist uh, identity or the Baptist ethos can be boiled down to about four basic freedoms that throughout time we have, we have learned to harness 
and celebrate and preserve. The four freedoms that I'm talking about today are soul freedom, Bible freedom, church freedom, and religious freedom. Soul freedom, Bible freedom, church freedom, and religious freedom. And I want to talk about that today. That is at the heart of what it means to be a Baptist and at the heart of what it means to be Johns Creek Baptist Church. We're that kind of church. But to talk about these four freedoms that define what it means to be Baptist, I want to give you kind of a framing image, some kind of metaphor that helps you kind of uh, put a frame of reference around it. And, and, and I want it to be this. Victor Frankl was a psychologist and Holocaust survivor. You may know the name, Victor Frankl. He said that in America, we have this amazing icon, this beacon of hope on our East Coast, the Statue of Liberty. It stands as a beacon of hope to all the world that here in this nation, we cherish and value certain freedoms and liberties, and we fight to preserve them. But he said, maybe in time, what we ought to do also is erect another statue on the West Coast, a statue of responsibility. Imagine a nation that is flanked by both a reminder of our freedom and a reminder of our responsibility for that freedom. That's how I want us to think today about our faith and about what it means to be Baptist because to be Baptist is about freedom, certain liberties, freedoms, that if we are not responsible to nurture them, can be lost. So today we begin with soul freedom. Now, soul freedom is simply this. It means that every person on the planet, every, every mortal maid, is made with the capacity to know God and be known by God. That's how God knit us together in our mother's wombs. We were made to be able to know God and be known by God, to enter into a, an intimate relationship with the one who knows us best and loves us most. Without the interference of any uh, priest or king or pastor or empire, you can know God and be known by God. It is the theme that is weaved all through sacred scripture in the creation stories. We're created in the image of God, in the very likeness of God. Why? Just like for those first mortals to be able to walk with God, as the text says, in the cool of the day. Do you know what it's like to walk intimately with God in the cool of the day. Or as Joshua stands on the banks of the Jordan River, they're about to cross over into the promised land, and he turns to him and says, look, turns to the entire people and says, look, this is going to be amazing. This is the land that's been promised to our ancestors. We're about to enter into it. This is freedom, but you must choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Freedom and responsibility. In Jeremiah, that great prophet says, you know, for so long, God's desires for us, the covenant that we live by, has been written on, on tablets of stone, but there's coming a day, Jeremiah would proclaim. When... When God will not write God's hopes and covenants for us upon tablets of stone, but God will write God's covenant upon the human heart. Do you 
personally know what it's like to have God etch, I love you on your heart. There's freedom, but there's responsibility to respond to that freedom. That is soul freedom. It's, it's in the New Testament where, where Jesus sits with his disciples and he says to them, who, who are people saying that I am? And Peter said, I, oh, they're saying all kinds of things, Lord. Some people say that you're like Elijah or one of the prophets. And, and others say you're like John the Baptist. And Jesus hushes the room and he says, but Peter, I'm talking about you. Who do you say that I am? And then Peter voices what later we would call the, the great Petrine confession. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. See, soul freedom means you were made with the capacity to know God, the capacity to be known by God, but also are given the responsibility of pursuing that relationship. That's why later, it, in, in the 16th century, Martin Luther, an old monk kicking around in the dirt, angry about the, the corruption that he sees in the church, angry about the system that was keeping people from an active, vibrant relationship with God, he, he voices his dispute with the church by nailing 95 theses to the door at Wittenberg because he read somewhere in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, he reads these words, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Grace. Freedom. Through faith. Taking responsibility of that freedom. Soul freedom is about not only be, being given the gift of free grace, but it's about being expected to respond to that grace. It's soul freedom. This is why two men, Thomas Helwes and John Smith, in the early 1600s in London, England, are angry at the English church or the Anglican church. They see the corruption. They see how a religious system can actually keep people from a vibrant faith rather than empowering them with a vibrant faith and they take a group of separatists and move to uh, Holland and there in Amsterdam they begin a congregation a Gainsborough community congregation that actually becomes what would be known as the first Baptist church in the world first Baptist congregation lowercase b descriptively Baptist you know why because there they are in Holland with this deep abiding conviction that no person or system of persons should keep you from a relationship with God. You ought to have the freedom to choose that relationship out of the, 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 the dignity of your own soul. So they had a problem with infant baptism. See, John Smith and, and Thomas Helwes, they seem to believe that, listen, a baby, as beautiful as they are, as, as wonderful as it is to, to take responsibility for them in their feeding and nurturing and care, we can't choose for them if they will believe and follow in the teachings of Jesus. So they advocated for a different kind of baptism. For the first time in the history of the church, believer's baptism, where you wait until you're able to consciously decide, I'm in, this is for me. And since no one had been baptized by believer's baptism at that point in history, John Smith turned to his highest and most trusted advisor, himself, and baptized himself 
by effusion, three times with a ladle over his head, and now is qualified to baptize his entire congregation for the first time. A Baptist congregation is born because of soul freedom. Well, that congregation eventually splintered into a number of different sects, as you would imagine. Some of them got on a boat, by the way, named the Mayflower and went to the New World to continue preserving freedom of soul. Have you taken responsibility for the freedom and dignity that has been given you? That leads us through our first freedom, soul freedom, to our second freedom, Bible freedom. What is Bible freedom? In 2002, I became the pastor at First Baptist Church in Etowah, Etowah, Tennessee. When I was there, I learned of the, the day that the church split. It was in 1984, and the church had been growing and, and was going in a direction that some were uncomfortable with, and so they were going to vote on this particular Sunday morning. The pastor was kind of leaning more to more of a, a fundamentalist direction, more charismatic direction, and they wanted to devote. Are we going to go in this direction or not? That was it. But on the day of the vote, he stands in the pulpit, waves a Bible up in the air, slaps it with his hand and says, if you vote against me, a vote against me is a vote against this book. Well, a chill went through the spine of that body of believers. And they came to the vote. And by the end of the vote, only 14 votes separated the nays and the yays. The pastor and the new direction lost the vote by 14 votes. But what's so interesting about that moment was that on the way to church that morning, several of the ones who voted against him were planning on voting for him until he stood in front of them and insulted the dignity of their capacity to read the Bible for themselves. In fact, in the middle of the vote, people ran down the hallway to the nursery and said to the nursery workers, you better get in here. And nursery workers came with babies on each hip and voted to take a stand of conscience for Bible freedom. You can't tell me what this means. We, we discern what this means as a body of believers. Sometimes to understand Bible freedom is best felt when it's threatened. According to Walter Sherton, this is what Bible freedom is all about. Bible freedom is the historic Baptist affirmation that the Bible, under the lordship of Christ, must be central in the life of the individual and church, and that Christians, with the best and most scholarly tools of inquiry, are both free, catch this phrase, both free and obligated to study and obey the scriptures. Penrose St. Amant said it this way, he said, Baptists are peoples with open Bibles and open minds. Open Bibles and open minds. This is how we do it at JCBC. We're that kind of church. Open Bibles and open minds. Guess what? News flash, spoiler alert, we're not going to agree on everything this book says. But that's the way we like it. Because in the context of mutual respect, where I think that you have a dignity of soul, and, and you think that I have a dignity of soul, where sisters and brothers have a mutual respect for the capacity to read, pray, discern, and seek truth, that we gather around this sacred word and are transformed at different places in each of our respective journeys. 
That's Bible freedom. Do you realize how dangerous this was up here a moment ago with these kids? I mean, not just because it's always dangerous when you get kids on the stage. Do you realize how dangerous it is to put them in the middle, in fact, in the center of the room, in the center of the consciousness of this body, and give them this book? That is a dangerous thing to do. Because if, perchance, one of them reads that they have been made in the image of God, and one of them reads that no matter who she is, she can be called to serve Christ and Christ's church at any capacity, that can change somebody's story. Bible freedom means recognizing that we are transformed by this thing when we gather around it, and it requires a humility when we approach it. Do you know what happens every Sunday? Every Sunday when I preach... I'm going to visualize this for you. After hours of preparation and prayer through the week, I'm talking, and I know some of you think it happens like 20 minutes before I walk in here, but hours of preparation, discernment, planning, imagination work, scholarly research, after all that spade work is done and, and the, the toil and the soil has been turned over, and I come to present something that I think the Lord has me to say to my people, the body. Here's, in essence, what I'm doing every Sunday. Placing the sacred word in the center of our consciousness and backing away from it. So that in the hearing of whatever truths have emerged from the page, in the encounter of whatever confrontation seems to rise up from the page and grab us by the ties and, and collars and pull us in, whatever it is that we experience that day, it is up to the Spirit to do what only the Spirit can do. Do you realize what I could do every week? I could preach the same verse, one verse every week for an entire year, and each week would be a different sermon. Do you know why? Because I could preach the same words, it's just words on a page until the body gathers around it, see, and yields to a certain authority it has in our lives. But then when I preach that particular word on that particular Sunday, we could come back the very next Sunday and I could preach the exact same verse out of the exact same book, but it would not be the exact same moment because I'm not the exact same pastor at that point. I've had a week's worth of life and hurt and hope and I'm preaching it different and you wouldn't be the same people because you've had a week's worth of life and hope and hurt and you would hear it in a thousand different ways and then the third week we'd come back and we'd multiply that one versus power to transform us because we believe that it can that's called bible freedom there's someone else at work here when we gather around this thing and no one person no one pastor no one individual has ultimate authority over what it means we gather in community to marvel at what it could mean. This woman came to me one time after a sermon that I had preached a few weeks, and I think I may have told you before. She, she came to me and she said, Hey, Pastor, oh, I can't wait to tell you this. Remember that story that you told several weeks ago where you, know, you could be walking down the street and a tree could fall right in front of you and you could die? And, and I'm thinking to myself, I never told that story. I don't have that kind of story. I have no idea what she's talking about. I said, no, I don't think that was me. I think that was somebody else. She said, no, it was you. 
It was you, you were saying you could be walking down the street, a tree could fall on you, and and you could be gone just like that, so clean it up, you know, or whatever. And I said, no, ma'am, I really didn't say, yes, you did. I said, well, I'll tell you what, so tell me what, what happened. She said, well, I was walking down the street. And, and walking my dog, and this, this limb fell from above, on, from this tree right in front of me. It was huge. It actually could have killed me. And in that moment, I thought about your sermon, and I thought, man, there's this conversation that I need to have with somebody in my family. And I went and had that conversation, and everything has changed, and I just wanted to say thank you. So you know what I said? Well, I'm glad I could help. <laughs> and it wasn't me. It was, it was me, and it wasn't her. It was a combination of me, her, the others who were in the room, and the presence of a spirit who knows what to do when a particular church respects the Bible freedom that is in and among them. See? One rabbi was asked by his student, why is it that the Torah says to us to place its words on our hearts? Why doesn't it just say place them in our hearts? And the rabbi said, because God knows that our hearts are hard. But when our hearts are broken, the words will fall in. Bible freedom is recognizing the pure gift that we've been given access to the word of God, that we've been given access to the scriptures, and it's it's placing them on our hearts and then doing the hard work of opening our hearts and minds to receive its truth. That's what we do here. You know why? Because we're that kind of church. Soul freedom, Bible freedom, which leads to the third, church freedom. You know, we are what is referred to as a gathered community. That means we're a group of volunteers. You're not made to be here. You can get up and leave at any time. I hope that you don't just yet, but at any time you can come and you can go. Baptists are volunteers. We are those who choose to show up. We're not in a particular church because we're born in that particular diocese or, 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 or area code. We're here because we choose, and we can choose to not be. Like the man who was shipwrecked on the island. He was a Baptist. It was a good thing because he was all alone on this island for years. So he had soul freedom. He could pray on his own. He had a little pocket Bible so he could have Bible freedom. He could, he could read scriptures on his own, but he was there for years. Until eventually a ship passing by saw the single line of smoke on this island, came over to rescue him. The captain got off the boat, was walking around the island with the man. The man was giving him a tour, showing him, over here is where I get my fresh water. This is where I gather my food. Then they come across three huts. He says, well, what are these three huts? He says, well, I'm glad you asked. This first hut is my home. This is where I sleep. This is where I come in from from the rain for shelter. The second hut, that's my church. That's where I go to pray, to sing. That's where I go to to worship God. The captain said, what's the third hut? He said, oh, that's where I used to go to church. (laughs) Baptists choose. We choose, see? And in the setup, in the way that we do uh, church, we have what's called church autonomy. Each local church, it's not McDonald's, it's a mom and pop shop. 
That means we gather to make decisions, to call our own leaders, to set up the ways in which we are governed. We, we are the ones who make hard choices about how to interpret Scripture at 6910 McGinnis Ferry Road, not an outside organization that hands us what to believe. See, the authority in, in, in church freedom, the authority in a Baptist church is just this. We're not part of an, an Episcopal system uh, where authority resides in an individual, say, like a bishop. We're not part of, of a presbytery, which, which is where authority and decision-making resides in a group of people, a, in a council of people. We are what's called the congregational system, which means as Baptists, the power is in the pew. I mean, think about it. If we're really serious about inside each one of us is the dignity of soul, soul freedom, that means that God is up to something in each and every life in here. That means that Authority comes from the pew up, not from some hierarchy down. This is the way it's designed. In the London Confession of Particular Baptists in 1644, listen to what an early Baptist congregation said about their, their Baptist church freedom. We confess, 1644, we confess that we know but in part, and that we are ignorant of many things which we desire and seek to know. And if any shall do us that friendly part to show us from the word of God that that which we do not see, we shall have cause to be thankful to God and to them. And what does that mean? It means in 1644, this Baptist congregation recognized that the power of God's spirit moves within people. And sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong. But the power of being a part of a Baptist community of faith is that our presence with each other helps us to course correct when we do get it wrong. And we have gotten it wrong over the course of these many, many uh, years, these, these four centuries. At JCBC, that's exactly how we think. That there is value in each one of us. And why? Because God, that's how God presents God's own call to each of us individually. So that in our shared life together, we are stronger when we show up. So what do we need to do? Show up. See, we have this freedom to participate in church, but we also have this responsibility that we sometimes take so lightly that we ignore the freedom. My challenge to every family in this church for the next eight weeks, next seven weeks, seven weeks, for the remainder of this sermon series, bring your family every single Sunday. Why? Is it just because we're going for some kind of attendance mark? No. It's because if you are free to gather, the real power comes only when we gather. So come and take responsibility for the freedom that we have here. Can I tell you how church freedom was felt by me the very first time? First time I saw what church freedom was all about, before I even articulated it this way, before I could even know what it means, I was 16 years old. I was 16 years old, and my church was going to have a business meeting that Sunday night. And I decided I was going to go to the business meeting. I was a little nerdy, yes. At 16, went to a business meeting, still that way today a little bit. I kind of get excited about those things. And that morning in worship, the pastor said, we're going to have a business meeting tonight. Here's a copy of our bylaws. If anybody wants to attend, the youth, well, they're going to be in the gym playing, but we'll have a business meeting in here. But as a 16-year-old, I said, no, this sounds way more compelling. 
So I got a copy of the Constitution and Bylaws, and I read it that afternoon. And then I went to the business meeting that night, and I recognized that in the bylaws at that church, it said that they can only have communion like on these designated days, like four times a year. And at the time, I thought, well, gosh, that's ridiculous because communion is like my favorite part of worship. That's the part where I'm not bored. <laughs> communion is, is what, what sparks my imagination. It's certainly more imaginative than the preaching. And so I said to myself, I'm going to stand and make a motion at the business meeting. So I prepared my speech, my argument. I went to the business meeting that night. They finished with all the business. Time for new business. Is there any other new business? And in the back of the room, sanctuary, I raised my hand. and Yes, Sean. And I made my speech. I told them what I just told you. It says here that we're only going to do this four times a year, but I think that we ought to allow the pastor to, to make some decisions that if, if he thinks that our, our church needs to get together on this and have communion... I think we had to give him the freedom to to just choose to add one or two more times in the year. Crickets. Well, he had to call for a second because I made a motion. Is there a second? Crickets. And you know in a Baptist business meeting, if it doesn't get a second, it doesn't get any action. So after crickets chirping, an old deacon had been there. He'd been a deacon since John the Baptist was a deacon. He raised his hand. His eyes second. I said, oh, we got ourselves a party now. Okay. <laughs> Is there any discussion on Sean's motion? Crickets. No one said a thing. Well, in that case, we'll, we'll go to a vote. All in favor of the motion say aye. And my lone voice, I said, aye. All opposed, the entire church with one voice, nay. And it failed. After the business meeting, the old deacon came to me and shook my hand and said, I appreciated what you had to say. And I said, well, then why did, why did you vote with me? And he said, oh, I wasn't ever going to vote with you. He said, but it needed a second, and your voice needed to be heard. Church freedom means that you're part of a church where you value the voice of everyone and not just a few. We're that kind of church. Soul freedom, Bible freedom, church freedom, and finally, religious freedom. From the very beginning of our beginnings, Baptists have been the most ardent champions for religious liberty all throughout the ages because primarily in the early days, we were the minority We were the persecuted. So as we gradually gain power and influence and authority, we have remembered on our best days the most vulnerable and have championed religious liberties for all religious minorities, not just our own religious affiliation. Roger Williams. In the early 1600s, Roger Williams was in the Massachusetts Bay Colony and he preached an interesting gospel. It got him in some big trouble I wouldn't know anything about that. He preached things like the Indians should be given reparations for the lands that were taken. Not a very popular sermon to preach. He preached also at the time that there should be made space available for Jews to worship as Jews wished. Turks to worship as Turks wished, which is his way of saying Muslims. For atheists to not have to worship if they are not Uh, so uh, compelled to worship. 
He believed that because we have a dignity of soul, God wanted us to worship freely or not at all. You cannot be coerced in faith. You can be persuaded by persuasions of love, but not coercive power. So Roger Williams railed against uh, the Massachusetts Bay Colony and what was attempting to become the state church, the Anglican church. And they kicked him out of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. You know where he went? He moved to Rhode Island. He started a little town called Providence to serve as a sanctuary community for religious minorities. He was a Baptist. But that Baptist fought to create space for not only non-Baptists, but non-Christians. That Jews should worship freely. That Turks, Muslims, should worship freely. That Indians, that atheists should have the freedom to choose to worship or not worship. Freedom of religion, freedom for religion, freedom from religion. A free church in a free state. You know what he did? He established a church there the First Baptist Church of America. And the very first Baptist congregation on American soil still remains there in Providence, Rhode Island. I have stood in its pulpit, and I have marveled at the stories that must have emerged in the earliest days there. Do you know what George W. Truett said about these matters? A Baptist statesman of the mid-century. He was the pastor at First Baptist Church of Dallas in the middle of the 20th century, a vocal Baptist spokesperson, this is what he says. It is the consistent and insistent contention of our Baptist people always and everywhere that religion must be forever voluntary and uncoerced and that it is not the prerogative of any power, whether civil or ecclesiastical, to compel anyone to conform to any religious creed of worship. God wants free worshipers and no other kind. Yes, amen. God wants free worshipers and no other kind. You can't worship God coerced. That's who we are here. We are a church who believes in soul freedom and Bible freedom and church freedom and religious freedom for all peoples. Why? Because we're that kind of church. Amen. Let's pray. God, we are grateful to you. You are firm foundation, the head of the body, the church. Grateful to you to be called to be stewards of the freedoms that you have instilled within humanity and within the church. Help us this day to respond to, to your freedoms with responsibility that has integrity. Show us how to be the church for this local time, this local place in our space in the universe. Show us what it means as a church, as Johns Creek Baptist Church, to live in such a way that the kingdom itself comes and the world that you love is repaired even on our watch. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.